actually, there's so many mysteries in all of this that, you know, we can't cover the whole thing. The question is, why was it found in clay, for instance, which was marine clay with shells around the tusk at the time? Yeah, how did how did that happen? Hi, I'm Gary Hoyle. I'm the uh, author of Mystery Tusk. I'm a retired curator of natural history for the Maine State Museum. Many years ago, back in the 1990s, uh, I came across the tusk in an old collection, and uh, I began to trace that down and found that some people had dug up this, uh, at least a tusk, uh, in Scarborough, Maine. That happened in 1959, and fortunately, uh, these people uh, were alive, and uh, I could interview them and discover uh, where the tusk came from, the actual location, and uh, uh, I began to uh, organize a, um, an excavation for uh, whatever might remain of the animal. You're listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cutmore. Uh, Gary Hoyle of Maine joins us talking about his big adventure, which he's put into a book called Mystery Tusk, Searching the for Elephants in uh, the Maine Woods. Now, this tusk, I mean, this is, a, what, is what is a tusk? It's, it's a growth on an elephant or an elephant-like animal? Correct. It uh, it is. It's uh, it's made out of ivory, and uh, you know some tusks like walrus tusks uh, uh, are also uh, made out of ivory too. So it's not just elephants that have tusks that are of, of ivory. And you talk about this tusk, which was found by the owner of the property who was digging a a, a lake or a little pond uh, in 1959. It was. Uh, something that was saved for posterity. It was at another museum, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was in an old museum collection, and that uh, that museum uh, became uh, defunct, and uh, it was incorporated into a, the main Audubon Society. Uh, the collections were dispersed to a number of different institutions, and uh, that particular tusk was uh, found in a crate with two tusks. And when the crate was open, like over a decade later, the uh, the labels had fallen off the tusks and were at the bottom of the crate. So nobody right. knew which tusk was which. But you found out. Eventually, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, we found out because uh, w- the fellows that had dug up the tusk were still alive and we could interview them, and we could show them photographs that we had of the two tusks, and they identified the, the tusks that they had dug up. Well, to cut to the chase, as they say, and I hope I'm correct, you ended up, this tusk was from a woolly mammoth uh, from thousands of years ago, uh, when uh, maybe it was an ice age was uh, on the rise around the fall in the, in the state of Maine, and as you say, you organized uh, an archaeological dig, and I was amazed. Not really amazed because I know people really love this kind of stuff. You had a hundred people volunteer to work on this project. Uh, we had a hundred uh, people um, 
amateurs and professionals. Uh, now, some of the professionals were working on the uh, the landform, the uh, stratigraphy of the site, uh, uh, how it uh, how it integrated with uh, other geology that had been done in southern Maine, and uh, so there was a there were a number of institutions. Uh, several colleges that were involved. What was the location of the where the tusk was found? Is it Scarborough, Maine? That's correct. It's it's in uh, in Scarborough, Maine. It's uh, just outside of Portland, Maine, about eight miles outside of Portland, Maine. As I understand it, when you're digging for uh, mammoths or mastodons, which is was sort of like a brother uh, creature but different, you you have to. Uh, uh, find something that identifies w- what you've got, and that something is a tooth. The tooth is the easiest identifiable object, uh, and uh, the uh, mammoth tooth is kind of like a millstone. So it's got, like got a grinding surface to it. It looks like looks like an LL Bean boot uh, if you turn the <laughs> boot over and looked at the tread. So uh, something like that. Whereas the mastodon is more like that the tooth is more like a uh, a moose or a deer only much larger what is bigger a mastodon or a mammoth they're about the same size actually uh and uh, the the, uh, the mastodon looks like a <laughs> kind of looks like an elephant that's uh in a slouched position the uh the location of the uh of the head is lower than that of a of a mammoth now the, the mammoth that we discovered ended up being a hybrid mammoth. Actually, it uh, ended up being uh, a hybrid of two different species of mammoth. One uh, called the Columbian mammoth, which was the largest mammoth that ever existed in uh, in North America, and uh, and the woolly mammoth, which is uh, shorter but chunkier. And when did this mammoth live, approximately? This one was about 13,000 years ago. Did it coexist with uh, Homo sapiens, you know, human beings? Yes, yes, it did. Uh, now, at that at that time, uh, people had not entered the uh, state of Maine uh, yet because there was a lot of uh, dynamics that were occurring with uh, ice meltback from the glaciers. Uh, there was uh, getting uh, the land mass was starting to lift again, so there was a lot of dynamic uh, things that were going on in Maine, and that affected the uh, the vegetation and uh, the uh, general geology of the state. So uh, it took a while before people actually moved into the state of Maine because there wasn't there really wasn't much other than a few grasslands that were. Uh, in existence at that time. And a lot of Maine was actually under uh, the ocean at that time, too. Mm. The ocean the ocean uh, water came in, uh, in some cases, up to 70 miles from its present uh, location. Your goal in, in investigating the Mystery Tusk was, in a sense, to create an exhibit for a museum in Maine where uh, you were uh, in charge of natural exhibits there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I was working 
uh, not only as the uh, curator of natural history, but I also was working as an ex- exhibits artist. I had uh, I had been trained uh, by a, a fellow by the name of Fred Shearer at the uh, American Museum of Natural History. He uh, retired, moved to Maine, and he would come in one day a week and teach me the techniques that he had learned in New York. So that was wonderful. <laughs> Is the tusk still, is, is it on display at some museum it, in Maine? It is not on display, unfortunately. It's in the Maine State Museum collection. Uh, I talked with the director a little while ago. I was uh, asked to, to come down to the museum and uh, and give a talk about my book. And uh, in the process, uh, I indicated to him that there's a slab of ivory that was taken from the center of the tusk that is at the University of Michigan, where uh, a specialist has uh, done some analysis on that, but uh, uh, only to a very slight degree. The tusks, the, the techniques they have today, they can actually read the tusk like a diary, and they can uh, indicate uh, the, the migratory pattern of this particular animal, they can uh, indicate since this this actually was a female mammoth, and since she was a female, they can determine the number of pregnancies that she had. They can they can learn the uh, time of year that she died, the possible physical health of the animal. There's a lot of different things that can be learned, and that takes uh, a specialist to do that sort of thing. So that's why we had a slab of ivory cut out from the center of the tusk and uh, taken over to to Michigan. Actually, we we took the tusk. My wife and I took the tusk over to Michigan, and then uh, then they cut the tusk to remove the slab of ivory. Well, it's a shame that it's not on display. Well, you're right. You're right. And uh, and I pointed that out to the director because uh, they've had some uh, uh, serious problems at the Maine State Museum where they had... uh, a uh, an air system failure in the museum, and that produced such high humidity that destroyed a lot of the the exhibits there. So they're having to redo a lot of the exhibits that uh, actually I worked on many years back. But uh, they're having to redo these. And I I told him I said, you know, you've got a wonderful story right here. Uh, if you just have um, a little money. Uh, sent out to Michigan for them to continue researching this tusk, uh, then they could to- tell you probably the whole history of the elephant, you know. So, But I, I will say also that in the excavation of that animal, um, the tusk had been found in 1959. There was also a talk uh, about uh, this being a modern elephant, and there was a lot of... Uh, discussion about that, and some people from uh, the 59 dig just wouldn't believe that we had uh, a prehistoric elephant. So uh, they thought it was an elephant called Old Bet, uh, which actually um, was owned by a farmer in uh, in New York, uh, uh, a town called Somers, New York. And uh, this uh, this particular individual traveled by night with the elephant, 
and he would stop at a tavern, and they would put him up uh, for the rest of the night, and he would uh, put the elephant in the barn the following day. They would sell tickets to see the elephant. This was only the second elephant to come into the uh, North America, and it was the first African elephant to come into North America. And the original elephant that came was an Indian elephant, right? Correct. Correct. The original elephant was a female Indian elephant. There's a big difference between the female Indian elephant and the female African elephant. The African elephants uh, commonly have tusks. The Indian elephants, Asian elephants, do not have tusks, typically. There are rare occasions. And here's the maybe capper to that story. Old Bet was shot and killed. Yeah, shot and killed in Maine, in fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was in shot Maine, and killed yes. in Alfred, Maine, uh, in 1816. And that was uh, known up here as the year there was no summer. Uh, the uh, When they were showing the elephant here in Maine, uh, they went to Hollow, Maine, which is a, uh, a town uh, next to the Kennebec River, and they were showing the elephant on the 4th of July, and it snowed all day on the 4th of July. And then two days later, on the 6th, it snowed again. So the the weather was miserable, and that was caused by a, vol- a huge volcanic explosion that occurred in Indonesia in 1815, the previous year. And it affected climate worldwide, especially in the uh the northern uh northern regions of uh, of Europe and uh in America. So I mean, and was, the man who who killed the elephant, um why did he do that? Well, uh he was uh he and his brother had started a sawmill and it was a doing very well. It was a profitable mill. But uh, then, in uh, eighteen, in the War of eighteen twelve, there was an embargo, such that it affected their sawmill, and they had already tried to uh, to get more money to uh, to build a larger mill, and so they were basically went in debt, and the brother uh, passed away. Uh, during that time period, and uh, they had to sell his farm. Uh, then this fellow that uh, shot the elephant uh, went into basically went into depression, and it was uh, clear that he was going to lose his uh, everything that he had too. So he went to anyway. He he went to see the elephant, and uh, I assume this was like one of the last hurrahs for him. He went to see the elephant, and uh, typically they would sell these uh, ginger biscuits to put in your pocket so the elephant could rifle through your pocket and get the uh, the ginger biscuit. So this was one of these entertainment things. Um, and he decided that he wasn't going to do that. Instead, he was going to just feed the elephant some tobacco or water tobacco. Well, the elephant previously had uh, been affected by people like that. 
And what what had happened is uh, down in Portland, Maine, uh, a similar incident occurred, and the elephant uh, chewed on the tobacco and then uh, spit the tobacco out and was coughing and and uh, wheezing and all. And the uh, the owner told the uh, the fellow that had given the elephant tobacco to get out because once the elephant had recovered, the elephant would probably try to kill the guy. So. Uh, so anyway, when this happened in Alfred, Maine, they found out that he was, this fellow Daniel Davis was going to, uh, uh, feed the elephant the tobacco and they stopped him and then they threw him out of the display barn. And so he, uh, decided he was going to get revenge. So that evening when they were getting ready to, uh, travel to another area with the elephant, uh, he hid behind a tree and shot and killed the elephant. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, and there's no qu- question that that's not your elephant or your tusk from that. Right, but, but back in 1959, there was a discussion that it was that elephant. Uh, they, they thought that, uh, oh, the elephant was shot and killed. They thought maybe the elephant was dragged up to uh, Portland and displayed the body displayed, and then they uh, threw the the, uh, the carcass into this gully, and it eventually got buried by uh, soil just washing down uh, into the gully. Gary Hoyle of Maine joins us. He is author of the book Mystery Tusk. Let me ask you this: Are you aware of the Cohoes Mastodon? Tell I think you. I've heard of it. Right, because when you I first picked up your pitch, I thought, well, this is like the Cohoes Mastodon. The Cohoes Mastodon was discovered, I want to say, right after the Civil War, when they were building a mill in uh, Cohoes, New York. I was going to say upstate New York, right? Yeah, right. It's near where I live. It's where the Mohawk joins the Hudson. And it was down under the water, blah, blah, blah. But apparently they found a lot of the elephant. Because I remember as a kid, that was one of the premier exhibits at the New York State Museum, and it's still in their collection. I mean, they don't have uh, a complete elephant skeleton, but they've got a lot of it. It's a, But again, it's a different kind of 12,000-year-old um, elephant-like creature. It was a mastodon. That's why I was asking you, what's, what's the difference between a mastodon and a, and a mammoth? Apparently, this animal died in a... In sexual heat, uh, I forget what the word is they use for elephant. Oh, must, must. Yeah, yeah. And he got he w- w- was taken with that. Maybe in a he wanted to, uh, you know, propagate with a female elephant, and the male elephant he was fighting killed him with his oh, tongue. Oh well, <laughs> I guess. And I did so not anyway. know that. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's our elephant, if you will. Uh, yep. But they didn't have the problems that you had of, well, what is it? Is it something else? Because they found quite a bit of it down in Cohoes. Well, you know, this uh, uh, this particular ma- mammoth, uh, uh, I should say the elephant that some people thought it was, which is Old Bet, uh, Old Bet, uh, when she was shot and killed in Maine, uh, they actually uh, skinned her and they actually cleaned the bones, and they sent everything off to New York. And uh, 
the the fellow, the farmer that uh, that owned Old Bet, uh, he had the uh, he had the skeleton mounted, and then he also had the uh, the skin stuffed. So he had a stuffed elephant, and he had the 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 uh, skeleton of the elephant. So he could put these on exhibit, and he would. Well, what he would do is exhibit one in one region of New York City, and then he would exhibit the other in another region of New York mm-hmm. City. So, mm-hmm. so he was he was making a fair amount of money off the remains of that elephant still, and then uh, eventually um, he um, he eventually donated the stuffed elephant uh, the, to. Uh, to what was called the American Museum at that time, and uh, it's uh, it no longer exists. It's not the American Museum of Natural History. So he donated uh, the the elephant, and uh, he used to uh, in the, in his later years he used to go out of uh, I think it was Connecticut uh, where he, where he went, and uh, he uh, he found this uh, shop where he like to spend time uh just talking to the local folks and they were uh joking and he was just having a good time there mm-hmm. and so he started telling this uh, young proprietor um 18 year old kid about uh about his experiences with old bet the elephant and the mm-hmm. the proprietor was so enthralled with that and his name was PT Barnum <laughs> and, wow. and that and and so Barnum was inspired to go into show business because of Old Bet the Elephant. Back to the Old Bet and raising money with Old Bet by either charging to see her bones or charging to see her. I've always heard that, that it, it, you could go see the elephant for 25 cents, right? Right. <laughs> but 25 cents was a lot of money then. It was it? a lot of money. And I thought that was one of the sore points for the man who shot the elephant. He thought it was terrible that they were taking all this money from these poor Maine people to see the elephant. Well, that's that's what he was claiming. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was claiming. You know, because, I mean, basically he was in debt, so uh, he was having a hard time of it, but... uh, uh, but the uh, the elephant was, uh, as I say, he was sh- he was shot and killed in Maine, but uh, uh, ended up, uh, at least from what we know, the the stuffed elephant ended up at the Amer- American uh, Museum, and uh, Barnum eventually owned the American Museum, and uh, he uh, he became a very wealthy individual because <laughs> of ownership of that particular museum, which became a central draw for tourists who were coming into the New York City. And then in 19, I mean, excuse me, 1865, uh, a fire broke out in the museum, and it was one of the worst fires in the history of New York City. And it uh, it burned the museum down, it, it uh, destroyed what was left of Old Bet, uh, killed a lot of uh, animals. Didn't fortunately nobody died in that fire, but uh, it did an awful lot of destruction. Let me just ask about you. You're an interesting guy in and of yourself. 
Uh, Gary Hoyle. You live on Swan's Island off the coast of Maine. And my producer, Dave Green, and I are just astounded. You have a landline out there in that island. Yes, we do. Yep, yep. They've ran a cable uh, under the ocean uh, and uh, out to the island here. And uh, we do have... uh, we do have full electricity on the island. Fortunately, I mean, we had a pretty bad storm just a little while ago and lost power for a couple of days. But I mean, you know, usually, we have power out here. And you're uh, um, worked in museums, obviously, but you're you're an artist. I mean, you uh, a visual artist. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, I've uh, worked. Some of my work has gone around the country. I was in a I was in a show at the Boston Museum of Science uh, many many years ago, uh, and that that show was called the Dinosaur Show, and uh, I did some kind of fan- fantasy sorts of illustrations, and I was accepted into the show. They wanted to show the complete cultural view of what a dinosaur is, and so they had uh, technical illustrations right through to fantasy, so I, I was ended up being one of the uh, people accepted in the show. And that show was so popular that it uh, Smithsonian and the National Science Foundation teamed up and sponsored a tour of the show for three years around the country. Yeah, it was a a great show. It was fun. If I could go back to the mystery tusk, how big is it if you were to get it displayed somewhere? And what do you see when you look at it? I think it's six feet, eight inches. But it was broken when it was taken out of the ground. It was taken out of a clay bed, and uh, the, the tusk broke in the process of them lifting it out of the clay bed. And who was it that discovered the tusk? There was a fellow, the owner was uh, William Littlejohn, and Leonard Cash was was the shovel operator, and, and both of them, unfortunately, have passed away since I was hoping they'd live long enough to see the the uh, story in print, but that just didn't happen. What would you like to say that we haven't talked about in terms of the mystery tusk? Well, I will say that when we when we dug the bones up, there was one whole bone, and that bone, once it was cleaned, they actually found a tooth mark on the bone, and they paired it up with that of a great white shark. So the remains of the animal got into the ocean at one time. What makes this such an interesting story? Because I think part of it is that it's happening in the main. <laughs> Like yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's so many. Actually, there's so many mysteries in all of this that you know we can't cover uh, the the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the question is, why was it found in clay, for instance, which was marine clay with shells around the tusk at the time? You know, how did how did that happen? Uh, you know, what? Uh, why was a great white shark involved? Um, how did the how did the animal get into the ocean to begin with? So there's a a lot of uh, a lot of things that we didn't discuss, but uh, they're all in my book anyway. If anybody's inter- interested in reading it, well, it's a great story, um, Gary Hoyle, 
And uh, Gary's book is called Mystery Tusk, uh, Searching for Elephants in the Maine Woods. I don't know how long they'll uh, keep it on, but give a little plug to Maine Public Radio. They did a fine interview with Gary and a whole bunch of uh, the other people that were involved in this Tusk escapade. Uh, You have been listening to the Historian's Podcast, produced by Dave Green. I'm Bob Cudmore. We do welcome your contributions uh, to the Historian's Podcast. You can uh, go to our website, bobcudmore.com, press the blue uh, button, and that takes you to our GoFundMe campaign, and we welcome your donation there. Or you can write out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send it uh, to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Well, Gary Hoyle, keep hunting for more tusks. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Thanks. Thanks for the interview. <laughs>